Before we open up God's word this morning, would you pray with me one more time? Father, we come before you now, and we are at that part of the worship service, Lord, where our eyes are drawn up to you, and we desire to hear you speak in and through your word. Open the eyes of our hearts, open the ears of our hearts that we may behold and hear your glorious truth. Take our hearts and incline them to yours, Lord. Open our eyes truly that we would see glory here. Help us be united as a church to truly fear your name. Satisfy us with your steadfast love. And lead us into all truth, Lord. In a world full of lies, lead us into truth. I pray now, Lord, that the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a supernatural work here and now. And that you would begin piercing each one of our hearts. That the proclamation of your word would be a heart surgery. Removing sin. Infusing righteousness, removing apathy, giving <coughs> encouragement, mortifying fear and giving courage, giving us a burden for the things you are burdened with, Lord, giving us desires for the things you desire. Do that supernatural work now, God, by your Holy Spirit. We offer this time up now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are taking a brief break from the book of Colossians this Sunday morning. And we are going to look at the sovereignty of God. I thought it would be a... We prayed. We prayed the whole time we were at G3. Um, it was an amazing time there. We were praying what would be, what was God saying would be most beneficial this week? And all of our hearts were just overwhelmed with the truth of salvation, which was the theme of the conference. And God was just having my, my heart in chokehold of sorts with the overwhelming truth of his sovereignty in it all. And so I prayed and strongly sensed the Lord leading us to spend some time in looking at that doctrine together this morning. And so that's what we're going to do. And so as we begin that this morning, I want to start with a question. Who is in charge of your life? Who is in charge of your life? I know that for most of us here, will instinctively say, well, God, God's in charge of my life. But I don't want you to be so quick to answer. I really want you to take a moment and consider the question of who's in charge of your life. Because the right answer is God. But the truth is that most of us live our lives as if we are in charge of our lives. 
And the reason most of us live as if we are in charge of our lives is because we have not studied, meditated, and taken seriously the sovereignty of God. The late Dr. R.C. Sproul, who has been a huge influence in my life, once said the following quote, most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. End quote. And so for that question, again, who's in charge of your life? Are you simply giving God a, a salute, a head nod to his sovereignty, but you are, are, are running around thinking, doing, deciding as if you are the great sovereign? That is what we're going to look at this morning. I think as our minds and as our hearts expand in understanding of the sovereignty of God, we will begin recognizing we have a lot that we need to let go of because we're acting as if we are in the driver's seat. And so this morning, we're going to see that God is the greatest being and he does whatever he pleases because he alone possesses supreme power and authority over all things. God is the greatest being. He does whatever he pleases. He possesses supreme power and authority over everything. <clears throat> we're not going to look at one passage. We're going to look at a, a list upon lists of verses. So if you don't get a chance to turn to them, that's okay. Write them down. Um, but as I've said in our evening services, as you write these cross-references down, these you do want to go back into your Bible. And I would strongly recommend in the margin next to those verses, just write sovereignty. So that you can identify the God-centeredness of Scripture. So the first thing we need to do is define sovereignty. And in order to define sovereignty, we need to actually bring in another attribute, which is the supremacy of God. So supremacy and sovereignty, what is the supremacy of God? When we say that God is supreme, we're saying that God is the most excellent, the most supreme and highest power. He is highest ranking. He is the greatest authority in heaven and on earth. There is nothing above him. He is far above all his creation. He's far above every single human being. He's far above every angel. He is more radiant than the brightest star. He is bigger than the largest universe. He's supreme. It means that he is un unrivaled, that there is no power or authority that could challenge him. It means when we say that God is supreme, that everything in heaven and everything on earth exists for one purpose, and that is to magnify, to glory, to draw all attention to the greatness of God. The supremacy of God means that he alone is God and there is no other. And I think no passage really captures the, the grandeur of God's supremacy than first Chronicles chapter 29. Not a book we spent a lot of time in, but in first Chronicles chapter 29, there is a, a diamond, a gem of truth here. First Chronicles chapter 29, 
Verse 11, yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Did you see that? Yours, right? What is it that's yours? What is it that belongs to God? Greatness, power, glory, victory, majesty. They belong to God. It's not something he has and others have. It belongs to him. He is the source. He is the owner. He is the great creator. He is the one who rules over all things. And so these things, these words, these attributes are chiefly his. Anything in this world that has any greatness, any power, any glory, any victory, any majesty has it only in portion because God has given it. But God owns it all. It's not that God has these things. It's that God is these things. God is Greatness. God is power. God is glorious. God is victorious. God is majestic. Because God is supreme. Brothers and sisters, if God was not supreme, God would not be God. Because if there was anything even a millimeter above the Lord, that would be God. And that means that God alone is worthy of honor of praise, and of glory. God and God alone is the greatest good. There is nothing in this world that is a a greater good for you than God. He is the supreme one. And because God is supreme, he must be the focus, the sole focus, and the sole delight of our lives. Anything else we focus on and anything else else we enjoy in this life must be focused on and enjoyed as coming from God and pointing us back to him. If you focus or enjoy anything in this life without relation to God, you are committing the sin of idolatry because God is supreme. When we were studying the book of Colossians, when we got to chapter one, verses 15 through 23, and we were looking at the supremacy of Christ, we saw there that he is above all things. So let me ask you a question. We started the question, who's in charge of your life? So now let's ask the question, what is supreme in your life? Is it God? Is he supreme in your heart? Is he supreme in your thoughts, in your pursuits, in your passions? Listen to what it says in Psalm 113. Psalm 113, verses 1 through 6. Praise Yah. Praise, O slaves of Yahweh. Praise the name of Yahweh. May the name of Yahweh be blessed from now until forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of Yahweh is to be praised. Yahweh is high above all nations. 
His glory is above the heavens. Who is like Yahweh our God, the one who sits on high, the one who brings himself low to see the things in heaven and on earth? Do you see the supremacy of God? Do you see how he is to be praised for being above it all? And did you notice in verse six, that beautiful little verse that can go unnoticed? He's the one who brings himself low to see. He condescends to us. He did that in the Lord Jesus Christ. The supreme God who deserves all of us to strive upward comes down. So that's the supremacy of God. And because he is supreme, because he is above all things, because he is the greatest good, the chiefest delight, the victorious, majestic one, that means he is sovereign. So what is the sovereignty of God? It is common for people to say that God is sovereign all the time. And yet there are so many misunderstandings of this doctrine. When we say that God is sovereign, what we're saying is that he has all power, might, and authority to do whatever he pleases and that he does do whatever he pleases. God has all the power, all the might, all the authority to do whatever he wants, and that's exactly what he does. God doesn't say, well, I really want to do this thing, but I'm not going to do it. No. He does what he delights to do. And there's probably no verse in the entire Bible that so captures this as Psalm 115, verse 3. Psalm 115, verse 3 reads, But our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. I don't want to jump ahead, but that means all that comes to pass in some capacity comes to pass because it pleases God. Or Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever Yahweh pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. There's things I want to do and I can't do them. There's things I want to do and I shouldn't do them. Whatever God desires to do, he does. Now, I want to just make sure we understand. And we'll get into this a little bit later. But as the, as the catechism, one of the catechisms says, God can do all his holy will. So God, everything God does is holy in nature. Everything that God ordains to come to pass has holy, eternal purposes. And so that's important for us to realize. One more verse to really hammer this home. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my counsel will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. He is sovereign. Now, there's three important truths that we have to understand that flow from God's sovereignty. The reason God is sovereign and can be sovereign is that first, he is the creator. Genesis chapter one makes it clear. God has made all things. God said, let there be light, light. 
He has the power to create everything and anything. Genesis chapter one shows that by a word, universes come into existence. I don't know about you, but I'm not about to tell someone who can speak a universe into existence that they can't do a thing. Or Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. He has made it all. Every single thing. That speaks, as we saw last week, of his omnipotence. So by virtue of being the creator of all things, he is sovereign over all things. Both of those verses were from the Old Testament. I don't want you to think that's an Old Testament truth. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. God is sovereign over all creation because he is the creator. God is also sovereign because he is the king of kings. There is no other king above God. All of these little leaders and politicians and whatever other titles they hold, in comparison, are God and nothing but little boys playing dress up. They are no more a king than a little boy is Spider Man because he puts on a costume. God is the great king. Psalm 47, 18. verse 2. For Yahweh most high is fearsome, a great king over all the earth. There is no power, no authority, no king, no ruler in any part of this entire creation above God. He is the king over all of it. He is the sovereign. Or Psalm 95, verse 3. For Yahweh is a great God and a great king above all gods. A great king above all gods. All these other fake gods that people want to worship Allah. Allah is a fake God. Yahweh is above him. Yahweh is above any of these little fantasy gods that people worship. And that kingship is most displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the praise of the Father. Which brings us to that last point, Jesus Christ, uh, God is Lord. He is the sovereign Lord. He is not a Lord. He is the Lord. Meaning the master. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 39. Know therefore today and take it to your heart that Yahweh, he is God in heaven and on earth and earth below. There is no other. If you were marking in your Bible, that's the part you underline right there. There is no other. 
He is the Lord of Lords. Everyone is accountable to him. He is master of all. And so the supremacy and sovereignty of God matter for a variety of reasons. But the, by way of application, let me just say this. That should really humble us to remember that we are not the supreme individual in our lives. We are not the, the, the sovereign in our lives. We don't have the freedom to make whatever decisions we want to make and do whatever we want to do. You must be the most, you must be the least important person in your life, not the most important person in your life. God must hold center stage, center focus, and his sovereignty must be what leads to everything you think, say, do, and desire. So if you wanted an application, here it is, repent. We need to repent. We live as if we are our own gods. I live that way. Who do we think we are that we can declare supremacy and sovereignty for ourselves? This is the God that he had Moses in a rock and said, you can only see my backside because if you saw me in my fullness and my full, my, my full supremacy, my full sovereign glory, you would die. And we walk around arrogantly thinking, I walk around arrogantly thinking that I have some kind of authority to be supreme and sovereign over this life that he's given me. I mean, we're just even write that statement. He's given me life. I'm dependent right now on every breath I'm taking upon God. In his sovereignty, he could say, and I can collapse right here, fall dead. So we have to have a posture of humility. Dependence. And the application for every sermon, obedience. God, you are supreme. You are sovereign. I can only do what you command me to do. But let's really take a look at everything God is sovereign over. Well, not everything, because we'd be here forever. But let's take a look at important areas that God is sovereign over. And this is why I want to spend time doing this, because we have to see how much God is sovereign over so we can recognize our smallness. Men plan as if they live forever. And that is not the case. We saw in Genesis 1, God is sovereign over all creation. God is also sovereign over how he's worshipped. You ever thought about that? The sovereignty, the rule, the reign of God is over how we worship. When we come to church, we don't do what we do because we decided to sit around and have a, a creativity meeting. We don't sit here and say, well, let's worship because we think this will be a great way to really entertain the people. This will be a great way to draw the people to God. We don't have that freedom. God is sovereign over how he's worshiped. Leviticus chapter 10. Sometimes I wish this was still happening. <laughs> and we get rid of a lot of goats that lead churches. Leviticus chapter 10. It's the story of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Starting in verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and put fire in them. 
Then they placed incense on it and offered strange fire before Yahweh, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out from the presence of Yahweh and consumed them, and they died before Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, it is what Yahweh spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. So Aaron kept silent. You see, they decided, Nadab and Abihu decided, I have the sovereignty to determine how I'm going to come and approach God in worship. And he smoked them. Just burnt them up. Why? Because God is sovereign, and that means he is sovereign over how we worship him. Despite popular opinion, there's nowhere in the Bible that God says that we should be having little ballet acts on stage, that we should be having skits, plays. No. That's not what he says at all. I saw a preacher... um, of a mega church, I would consider a false teacher personally, who in trying to talk about how God is working in our lives, was talking about this par- the story when Jesus spit in his hand and, and gave the man sight, and he spits in his own hand and rubbed it on a guy's face in front of everybody. Who do you think you are? You're not Jesus. What are you trying to do? People have perverted the worship of God. God is sovereign over how he must be worshiped. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35, thus says Yahweh, who gives the sun for light by day and the statutes for the moon and the stars and light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves war. Yahweh of hosts is his name. How dare we think that we can approach God however we want, both in worship and in our personal lives? Literally, this is the God who holds the sun up. The sun, that big burning ball of fire, only has light and heat and fire because God is literally giving it to it right now in his sovereignty. He has sovereignly positioned the stars and rules over them. If you've ever seen a shooting star... It's a beautiful thing. That star died and fell and was shooting across the sky because God said, it's your time to die now. The star dies. Because he's sovereign. This is why Jesus can calm the storm. Because creation only obeys. Creation does what God says. He's also sovereign over human life. This has been a very important truth for so many during the last two years. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Verse 39. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. How often do you think about your death? Some more than others. Jonathan Edwards at 17 wrote resolutions. One of his resolutions was to think on death often and what comes after. It's a healthy thing to do. Culture may say it's morbid. 
But it's important to reflect on the fact regularly that you're going to die and appear before God. God has already predetermined in his sovereignty the day that you will exit this world. There is nothing you can do to make that day sooner or to delay. We must strive to be good stewards of the life God has given us, of course, out of gratitude. But God is the giver and taker of life. I like to say when you see the news, so-and-so saved a life. No, they delayed death. God in his sovereignty holds your life in his hand. I think it's natural that the younger you are, the less you think of death. The older you are, the more you think of death. It's drawing closer, naturally. But a few years back, my daughter, my oldest daughter, she was around 13, had a friend unexpectedly die in the winter on a bicycle accident. That young man never thought he was, was not thinking that he was going to die that day. It was unexpected. But God is sovereign over that. You are immortal until God calls you home. He is sovereign over your life. He is supreme over your life. He has the authority over your life. And so, you know, this is, let's be good stewards of our body. But so many people, they're doing all the exercise, all the dieting. Why? Not because they want to honor God, but because they're afraid to die. Oh, death, where is your sting? Christ has overcome death. We should not fear death. We should understand that it will come. We should seek to honor God in the bodies we have, but we have to remember he is sovereign over our lives. What a comfort that would be to so many who are so scared in this time in history and that we find ourselves. But it is saddening to me to see how many followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are paralyzed in fear because of what could happen through a virus it doesn't matter i can lick every doorknob in McHenry county and not get covid if the lord didn't want me to get it and i can take every precaution every shot wear six masks in my house and die because i slip in the shower it doesn't matter i seek to do what i do to honor god as a steward of my life while firmly understanding he is sovereign over it Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Samuel 2, verse 6. Yahweh puts to death and makes alive. He brings out to Sheol and raises up. He puts to death, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Beautiful little babies are being born today in hospitals all around the world. God is the one doing that. God is the one doing that. It's not just your life he's sovereign over. He's sovereign over that little raccoon who got killed a few hours ago and is sitting on the side of the road. He's sovereign over the bird that falls dead from the tree, it says, the sparrow. He's sovereign over all of it. That should instill deep humility. That should instill deep humility into us and deep confidence as well. He 
He's also sovereign over human history, not just human life. Listen to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 through 35. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes toward heaven, and my knowledge returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can strike against his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, mind you. He recognizes I'm nothing. I'm nothing before this God. The arrogance of so many leaders around the world. I heard people talking about the potential rising conflict between Ukraine and Russia and how the U.S. can be involved in that. And yeah, there's wisdom and people should be, at the end of the day, God is sovereign over that situation. He's sovereign over each one of those figures, each one of those countries. Nothing will come to pass in that conflict that God has not ordained in his sovereignty and for his good purposes. By the way, God was sovereign in 2016 election and in 2020s. He was not asleep at the wheel. God was doing exactly what he wanted to do for his redemptive purposes in human history. We think about just what's in front of us. God has greater purposes than any political party or conflict. God is working all things for his glory, for the redemptive purpose of human history. Listen to Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but Yahweh directs his steps. There's a tension there, right? Well, who's doing it? You or me, God? Both. We freely choose according to our desires, but God is not responding to what we choose. We are choosing in line with his sovereign purposes. Psalm 22, verse 28. Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have made. Those were there by God's decree. Those were there by God's decree. We think we have freedom to move around and do different things and change things that God has brought about. Those boundaries, those ancient boundaries which your fathers made, they need to look back and remember God sovereignly positioned things there. Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11. Yahweh nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the thoughts of the peoples. The counsel of Yahweh stands forever. The thoughts of his heart from generation to generation. You see that? He frustrates the thoughts of the people. He nullifies the counsel of nations. It is a very foolish thing for countries to seek to go against the will of the Lord. They're simply going to be frustrated because he will still accomplish his purposes. He is sovereign. So do not lose heart over what's happening in the world we live in. 
God is sovereign over the affairs of men. But not just at a global scale. At the smaller scale of things. He's sovereign over what your children are doing. He's sovereign over what your spouse is doing, what your friends are doing, what your parents are doing, what your bosses are doing, what's happening with your career. He's sovereign over all of it. So seek to honor God with the decisions you make and how you respond to it, but don't lose heart because he is doing it, ordaining it. Years ago, when I first came to faith, I kind of came out of the gates like a rocket. But I fizzled out right around month number six and backslid terribly hard for about a year almost. To the point that somebody would say, that guy was probably not truly born again. And I can imagine that for those who had poured into me and were so excited about what they had seen God do in my life those six months, there could have been cause to to, to worry. But God was sovereign over that. It didn't remove my responsibility and my sin. Don't hear me what I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. But God was there working in and through that. It wasn't that God left the room, came back and said, where's Alex? What happened? Where'd he go? No. He was working purposes and looking back. That was probably the, God used that for his glory in ways I can't even begin to articulate because I recognize how scary it could be to have a knowledge of God and walk in darkness. So God brought great glory out of that in his sovereignty. I still bear the consequences of my sin, but don't lose heart over what's happening in your life. And in those you care about, remember that God is working good, eternal, redemptive purposes. Now we get to the part of God's sovereignty that upsets many. God is sovereign over salvation. If you are in this room or joining us online and you have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have confessed your sin, repented, meaning turned away from sin and turned to Christ and asked him to forgive you, to give you his righteousness and to make you a son and daughter of God, guess what? That's something God did for you. That's not something you did. That's controversial for some. I think it's controversial because most are not making that, are not discussing this issue with their Bibles open. Bible's very clear, John 6, 44. Jesus is talking to the Jews here. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Why did you come to Christ? Because the father drew you to his son. It's the idea of water in a well and you're drawing water. R.C. Sproul once said, God was not standing there saying, here, water, 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 asking the water to jump in the bucket. No. God drew you to his son as a man draws water from a well. Or Romans 8, verses 29 and 30, very common, well-known passage here. This glorious chain of salvation that we find in Romans. Because those me foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. To really unpack the doctrine of sovereign grace, we'd be, well, we were just at a conference on this. It's a conference. It's, it's, it's a sermon series. But the point to see, hear, and know is that God did that for you. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And let's just stop there. When was the last time you saw a dead person do something? Nothing, right? They're dead. You don't see a dead person going for a walk? They're dead. And so you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Here it is. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. God is sovereign over your salvation. He took you a dead, rotting corpse and breathed new life into it. You were the valley of dry bones that we read of in Ezekiel. And he brought you to life. You were Lazarus dead in the tomb. And God said, come forth. And you were made alive. Why? Because God is sovereign over life, both physical and spiritual. Rather than have this be an issue to be debated, it should be something to be worshiping God for. Some people think this is offensive. What about my freedom? Talk about that in a moment, but let's just say this. If God is not sovereign over the souls and men and women, if somehow your freedom trumps God's sovereignty in this area, then what you're saying is there a part of your life that is off limits to God, and you are saying that you are the sovereign, not the Lord. So essentially, you're saying you're making yourself God. There is no area off your list. Who created you with freedom? Any little freedom you think you may have, who made that? God. Imagine, well, God, no, I have the freedom to choose. God would be like, you just died. Guess your freedom ended there. He's sovereign over it. So stop fighting against the fact that God called you to himself and praise him for it. Thank you, Lord, that though I deserved no life, you sovereignly from eternity past set me apart for yourself. And then in time sent your son to die the pride, to, to die and take my punishment on the cross. And then whenever that was, you gave me a new heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is sovereign over your salvation. He's also sovereign over suffering. He is sovereign over suffering. This is where you figure out if you have weak theology or not. It's easy to have robust theology when the sun is shining and the birds are chirping. It's hard to have good, robust theology and trust in God when the night is dark, cold, and things are falling apart. And before we look at the God being sovereign over suffering, hear this word from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him, we also have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. There's that salvation thing again. Who works all things 
according to the counsel of his will. Underline all things, if you write in your Bible, there is not one area of life that God is not sovereign over, which includes the circumstances that bring about your suffering. You know, what's interesting is that few of us have endured suffering as Joseph, uh, Joseph did. How many of us have had brothers betray us, throw us in a pit, sell us into slavery, be wrongly accused of rape, be put in prison again, interpret some dreams, think you're going to get free, be ignored? I don't know about you. I haven't had it that bad. How would Joseph respond to this? Did Joseph say, where were you, Lord? Why? No. This is what he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when he finally sees his brothers again. You meant it, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Joseph saw the circumstances of his suffering as having been ordained by God for good redemptive purposes. He is sovereign over your suffering. Your suffering is not an accident. Your suffering is part of his plan for your life. If you think God is being cruel because he put you to suffer, then maybe what you should do is tell God you no longer want to be his child. Because in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, he says, And if children also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. Your suffering is part of his plan. Your suffering is part of your adoption. He is sovereign over it. And I'm going to be more bold here. God didn't simply allow suffering into your life. He planned and purposed suffering in your life. I don't say that as someone who hasn't endured suffering. We all have, but he has planned it and purposed it. And he's planned and purposed it to sanctify you. And to help prepare you furthermore for the day that you will be in glory, glorified with him. Because when you suffer as truly of God's one of God's children, it strengthens your faith. It deepens your trust. It purges you of self-reliance. It refines you. But that's actually not the most important reason God purposes and plans suffering in your life. As good as that is, that's still about us. God purposes and plans suffering in your life to glorify himself. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we read this. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, neither. This man nor his parents sinned, but this was so the works of God might be manifested in him, so that God can show who he is. Nobody did anything wrong there to deserve blindness, but God Allow this man to suffer with blindness so that in due time, Christ could heal him of his blindness and God could be glorified. So look at your suffering as an opportunity for Christ's glory to shine brighter. And God is also sovereign over and above Satan and his army. Sometimes things happen. We're like, there's Satan doing it again. Sure. But let's not miss the fact that God, God, Satan can only do what God allows. We see that in the book, in the story of Job. In Job chapter one, verse 12, it says, 
Then Yahweh said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only do not send forth your hand toward him. So Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh. Satan did it, but it was on God's leash. God is sovereign over Satan and his army. He's sovereign over everything. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. But I have prayed earnestly for you that your faith may not fail. And once you've returned, strengthen your brothers. Satan desired, God, Christ prays. What Satan desired, he doesn't get. He's sovereign over it. So let's not think somehow that there's some kind of dualism going here and it's like a yin-yang type situation and they're, no. Satan does wreak havoc. Satan does have horrible purposes. Satan's intentions to do these things is sinful, but God allows it because he shows his good, redemptive, eternal purposes over them and through them in the fullness of time. And God has to be sovereign over this because here's the reality. If God doesn't have sovereignty in all the areas that we've looked, then we have no hope in the gospel. If God was not in charge and ordaining all those things, we open the door that the gospel cannot have come to pass. God sovereignly ordained every event. He ordained the betrayal of Judas. He ordained the Pharisees seeking him up to be delivered in front of Pilate. He ordained that Simon the Cyrene would carry the cross. He ordained that the Roman guard would pierce his side. He ordained that the two criminals would have different responses. He ordained that he would be in the tomb for three days, and he ordained that he would rise from the dead victorious over sin and death. The sovereignty of God shines brightest in the cross of Christ. And the more you and I realize that every circumstance in our life comes from God's hand, the more we should actually have peace in this life. Because you are taken care of and loved by a God who controls all things and is working those things for your good and his glory. Romans 8.28, for God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. The sovereignty of God should be the pillow on which you lay your head at night. 1 Samuel 7, verse 22, it should be our a proper response. Oh, maybe 2 Samuel, sorry. Second Samuel 7, 22. For this reason you are great, O Lord Yahweh, for there is no one like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Recognize there is no other God like God. There is nowhere else. He is great. He is mighty and he is good in his sovereignty. If God was not good, this is why we've been looking at the character of God the last few Sunday nights. Because a sovereign who was not good should be feared, but a sovereign who is good should be trusted. Time doesn't allow us to look at objections to all this as much as I wish we could. But let me just say this. Guard against making God in your own image. Guard yourself against that. Guard yourself against thinking that God has to act according to your small, finite human understanding of things. 
and allow this mystery of God's sovereignty and the choices you do make freely to drive you to devotion and not to doubt. I'll close with one last quote. I usually don't make use a lot of quotes when I preach, but this area I struggled with early on in my faith quite a bit. And this was a quote that I had had on a post-it in my Bible for many years. The late Dr. R.C. Sproul said, quote, if there is one single molecule in the universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled, end quote. He is sovereign. We should praise him for it and rest in that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now, praising you and thanking you that you are the great sovereign. Imagining a world where you were not sovereign over it all is terrifying. But knowing that you are sovereign allows us to lay our head on our pillow at night in pure confidence and joy. To know that you are working all things for your good redemptive purposes, for your glory, and for our sanctification and preparation to be with you in glory is great. Lord, I know that that doesn't mean that difficult times, hard times, suffering times won't come. And that at those moments, our knees will want to buckle and our faith will seek to waver. In those moments, Lord, help us remember that you are the sovereign God working out good redemptive purposes for your people. Let us remember that Jesus did not escape suffering, but suffered according to your sovereign decree. So then let us find comfort in our Savior. Father, may your sovereignty also cause us to renounce any sovereignty we seek to exercise independently in our life and any supremacy we have and let us humbly come before you, worship you, be bowed and prostrate before you, recognizing you must be chief, supreme in our devotion and in our actions. Pray these things in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.